1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ecommerce Master Plan Podcast. I'm Chloe, the creator and host of this award-winning show. Oh yes, award-winning these days. And it's my aim in every episode to help you find ways to improve your e-commerce business. So thank you very much for tuning in, and please do let me know how this show helps you. Because I'd love to hear. Um, just let me know via social media with the hashtag #ecommasterplan. That's E C O M. M-A-S-T-E-R-P-L-A-N. And I have a bit of a confession to make today. So I was getting ready to record this this episode the week, six days, in fact, before the Keep Optimizing podcast went live, our new podcast, which you've probably heard plenty of about by now. You may even be listening to it. So just before, I was kind of like big in podcast launch mode, you know, creating the show notes, doing this, doing that, making sure we have the marketing ready just fully committed to it. But I'd allowed one podcast interview to slip in to that focus on launch. And that was this one. So I was like, oh, really enjoying the launch processes. Really don't want to have to record an episode now. I guess I'd better try and make this good. I can't reorganize it. I better do this. That's how I was approaching this episode. I'm going to confess it to you now. I have confessed it to you now. And then I got on the call with John and he was so interesting in our pre chat it was like I completely forgot all about the keep optimizing podcast and hopefully managed to turn my my lethargy and my lack of interest in recording this episode into something really good because john was just as good when we hit record and just as interesting and the sharing is m- so much um in this episode so i know you're going to like it we are talking in today's episode about how they went about founding the business so how they picked which market to get into. We're talking about the culture of the business. We're talking about story and why that's so crucial to growth. We're talking about how to get your business in front of millennials, how to structure a business to make it work for them. There's some really, really good stuff in here. I think you're going to love it. It's coming up very, very shortly. But first, please do check out the sponsors. your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot slash masterplan. Shopware is a leading e-commerce system used by some of the largest European brands, retailers and manufacturers across both B2C and B2B industries. As a trend-setting open source solution, Shopware gives retailers the freedom to quickly and easily realise their growth potential with more flexibility and less complexity. Visit shopware.com To check out the new shopware cloud solutions and discover the easiest way into e-commerce. Craft the perfect customer experience and unleash your growth. And now to introduce today's special guest. John Tabis is the founder and chairman at The Books Company, an online florist. Founded in 2012, they've sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of flowers to millennial females. Hello, John. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, so how did how did you get involved in the world of e-commerce? Um, so I was a
2: strategist at uh, Bain & Company and then the Walt Disney Company. And so e-commerce was sort of on the on the distant radar in my career, but it wasn't where I spent my time. A um, little bit of work with Disney Store, DisneyStore.com, et cetera, but it wasn't a, a big focus. Um, but I got the itch to get into the, the VC backed startup world the the sort of smaller faster growing world and um, was looking for a job that combined my background in brand uh, with strategy but but in a in a higher growth company and I landed at shootazzle.com which was as is today a uh, shoe subscription e-commerce business it was the first sort of subscription for insert um, business um, that was out there it was growing like like mad and I joined there as a VP of brand and strategy and um, and got introduced to to e-commerce in a real way and um, at, at the same time my co-founder and I had reconnected and started talking about this idea around flowers and so Shoe Dazzle was sort of my entrance point and I but I didn't last long I was only there for about five six months before I left to to start books
1: it you gave you just enough. E-commerce knowledge to go and do your own. I don't know if I had enough knowledge to do my own,
2: uh, but uh, I figured I'd figure it out along the way, and that's that's pretty much how it's how it's gone since since then.
1: Cool, and it strikes me that um, the flower market, you know, bouquets and deliveries is. I would have thought it was pretty wrapped up you know, pretty, there's enough with your local florists and the big international companies doing the deliveries, there's enough people out there selling flowers that it would be a difficult market to enter. So why did you, why did you pick flowers for your, for your uh, investments?
2: Yeah. So there's a few things on, on how we landed here. You know, one is, um, it is crowded. The barriers to entry into floral are kind of nothing. If you can get access to flowers, which anyone can go to their local market and buy some flowers, and you can have a little bit of skill to design them into a bouquet, you can sell flowers. So the barriers to entry are little, which is why there are so many players. Uh, but the number of players is shrinking dramatically globally, especially in the US. There used to be 55,000 florists in the United States, there are about 13,000 remaining today. Wow. Uh, and so, uh, and the reason is it's a really hard business. It's a, perishable inventory. There's a lot of competition from grocery stores, from large players like 1-800-Flowers, FTD, etc. And so um, when you look at that, you go, oh, I'm not sure. Is this an interesting place? But there's a few things you should know. One is just in the US, floral is an $18 billion industry. And the largest player in the space does about a half billion dollars of revenue a year. That's 1-800-Flowers. And in in flowers, they do about a billion and billion one in total revenue, but only less than half of that is floral. And so you don't have a dominant player who has 30, 50, 70% market share. Uh, that's one. Two, the world is changing. The world is getting smaller. The, again, the florist is getting kind of crushed by the grocery store and the large players. And so there's a there's a gap for that more bespoke feeling. Um, but we saw an opportunity to do it driven by e-commerce and online experiences rather than, than brick and mortar and in person. Although that will play a role. And we can talk more about that later. Um, and so I saw this massive industry, globally, it's $100 billion, without a brand that really sort of defined the industry. You know, if you think about large consumer industries, typically there's a brand that you look at, and you say, that's the one, right? And in coffee, it's Starbucks. In uh, entertainment and media, it's the Walt Disney Company, where I used to work. And you can go across categories. In floral, you can't, you can't point to that brand. You can't say, oh, that's the one that defines the category. That's the one that leads the way. And I thought that was so strange that in a category that's so large, you know, 18 in the US, 100 billion globally, that there wasn't this aspirational leading brand player that said, we set the tone, we lead the way for the rest of the industry. And I thought, well, we should just go make that. And my co-founder came from the supply chain side. And for him, it was an arbitrage opportunity on, on supply chain logistics, But also an opportunity to tell stories about how they grew the flowers, how they treated their labor, because they invested heavily in those things. But the end consumer didn't even know to ask questions about where the flowers came from and why that mattered. And and we thought about those two things, those two pieces, supply chain transparency, quality and efficiency and brand building. And e-commerce was not sort of the point. We weren't building an e-commerce business. It was the best means to the end of how do we serve the customer and the farm in the best way possible
1: and it's i mentioned in the intro that you know one of your key demographics is that millennial female and yeah if i think about the what i you know the types of places i could go to buy flowers there's not one which really speaks to the millennial there's there's no obvious place to go to buy that product that, that really fits with what that's after what the millennials after, and I guess that supply chain transparency is really crucial in that piece because if we look at the big uh, the big D to C brands I guess direct to consumer brands who are p- appealing to the millennials the story of the product and the ethics and the sustainability is just as important as the ease of delivery the ease of purchase and the actual product
2: absolutely we saw a couple key challenges of the way the industry was set up one was this supply chain where it not 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 purposefully but just by the way it works which is there's about five or six layers between a farmer and a consumer where it's just really hard to understand where your flowers come from which means you can't as a as a retailer make any kind of promise about sustainability quality freshness etc and that was one big piece the other piece was because um, those a lot of other e-commerce brands and floral rely on the local floral shop and they don't control that supply chain. Uh, they don't know what's in stock and so they can't make very unique, uh, proprietary designs because they just don't know what, what the shop has. And so they have to be somewhat vanilla and somewhat basic. And we wanted to be able to offer really unique, different flowers and combinations and seasonally designed for that customer because that customer really wants to choose something that feels very special for their recipients. And then the last part is we just wanted to market and, and and create user experiences that were very easy to use. You know, Web 2.0, sort of modern, mobile driven, a few clicks, honest and open, transparent in pricing experiences. And so we put all those things together. Not one of them makes us dramatically different. But when you pull them all together and you tell a story around it, like you said, it, it really sets us apart from the market
1: and it it must make quite a big difference to the cost base as well because if you're saying that in the traditional model you've got about six different stages before you get to you know the flowers actually being turned into a bouquet and then you've got another couple of stages before it actually reaches the customer if you're buying from like a nationwide website that's a lot of cost a lot of things that take away a bit of margin within that so did it did it you know, creating the the better process for the story for the sustainability, did that also have a positive impact on the the cost structure of the business?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that we were forced to do we didn't necessarily choose this, but when we launched this business, we had essentially no capital. We raised money from my mom, my dad, uh, my sister, a couple friends, and um, it's not like our friends and family round was two million dollars or a half million dollars. Our friends and family around was a grand total of $13,000. It was so, um, and so by necessity, we needed to have a business that could be launched without a lot of capital. And so we needed the unit economics to be good. Um, and one of the sort of brilliant things about our model was, especially at the beginning, was we didn't hold any inventory. So we didn't have to put any capital out at the beginning. All the flowers exist at the farm, cause that's our, our model is farm to table. And so we were able to do it very efficiently. There are places where our unit economics are going to be vastly better than everyone else's, and there's places where they won't. And it really depends on flower type, distance traveled, um, how fast we need to deliver it, all these complicating factors, because our our supply chain is wildly complex. We work with 140 farms around the world, uh, multiple modes of distribution and delivery. And so the, the unit economics aren't necessarily consistently the same. But the, the one thing that is very much consistent is the loyalty of the customer. Because we do it directly from the, the, the farm, we, we own that supply chain. Again, the, the designs, the quality, the freshness, we can just deliver a, a different experience that customers really love. And because of that, the lifetime value of our customers is, is high. Uh, people are just very loyal we lead the industry on net promoter score we lead the industry on repeat order rates on subscriptions and so that really drives uh you know the profitability of the business in, in a way that's super attractive
1: it, it seems to me like that in a going slightly off topic here but i think this is interesting so we'll pursue it um it seems to me that at the moment kind of the last five years or so well, last 10 years i suppose we're going through a stage where uh, if you want to to meet the the needs of the consumer the business consumer or the end consumer you have to almost start from scratch again to do it if I look at you know the world of e-commerce we've got the shopifys and the big commerces that have come along and have taken a massive step step leap forwards because they started from scratch and you've got the incumbents struggling because that base, of how they're actually built and the foundations of the business don't match up to what the new consumer wants. And it seems seems to me very much a parallel to that, what you're saying about in the in the flower space is that if you'd bought an existing flower retailer, you wouldn't have been able to get to where you've got to because all those foundations, the legacy foundations, would have completely destroyed the the business you were trying to create. You had to start from that blank sheet of paper.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's across. You know all the different facets of the business it's cultural it's it's how people think about working it's business model you know if you have a business model that is highly dependent on b2b revenue um it's really hard to switch to be b2c it's just a a massive change different systems different processes different data Um, and then the technology piece is also really hard if you have legacy systems that a company has built up and data lives in it and, and and i've seen this at you know large transformation projects at bigger companies Moving that data is not a two-year process. That's a, that's a potentially a decade-long process to get really to the other side. And so be, to be able to be nimble, to be able to, to try things and learn and then adjust for what the customer really wants, having a blank slate is really great. And we see that even in our own company. You know, We're a, call it, 83-person company now, which is not a massive company. but uh, and, and compared to maybe a large incumbent with 3,000 people, we are still very nimble. But compared to when we were four people, we are significantly less nimble. Simply because there's more process, there's more technology, there's more considerations that you have to have. And so, starting from a, a blank slate is it's it, it's freeing. It enables you to try things and do things fast. And, you know, as an example, you mentioned we're a brand primarily for millennial women, and that's true. Both about 90 some percent of our recipients are women and and about two-thirds of our buyers are women uh, when we started this business we were convinced that we were a business for men millennial men we were going to be the cool flower company that makes it easy for guys to send flowers to the loves in their lives and very quickly we found that was not our target and we we flipped within the first six months we flipped 180 degrees to focusing more on women uh, we still get a, a decent number of men and we love our, our male customers but if we were, you know, whatever, 20 years old and we had been focusing on men all that time, making that change would have been hard. We did it in weeks. Um, and and I think that freedom and flexibility that comes with being new and fresh and, and without the preconceived notions is a real asset for anyone trying to take on, you know, especially an established industry like Floral.
1: Starting from scratch, when you built the built the business to begin with, did you start off by doing a bespoke website or did you go for a platform that's in existence? Um, again, mostly out of necessity,
2: we started o- almost exclusively out. So open source. So we had a, an in-house developer who was, you know, part of our initial five person team, which everyone was kind of working part-time nights and weekends, except for me. And, uh, and he built pretty much a, a, fully customized platform, both front end and back end, using open source uh, software. That solution, um, was what we launched with. We then built a lot on it over the course of three years, and then in um, 2017, that infrastructure, that architecture, just couldn't handle the size of the business anymore. And so um, we now have a both front end and back end custom built um, from scratch. Uh, we we use some external third parties. Um, there's a there's a company called Work Area. Which is in Philadelphia. Great partners that helped us stand up the the base infrastructure of the e-commerce side of things. But because our business is so weird, if you think about it, when someone orders flowers from us, it's not like we have a warehouse where there's millions of SKUs and we have to go pick the one SKU. Mm-hmm. Uh, our flowers are in all kinds of different places all around the world, all these different farms, and our our product has to arrive on a specific day. Unlike an Amazon or any other, you know, general shopping platform. You place an order. It's like, oh, do you want, do you want delivery tomorrow? But it's not for that day. Um, for us, it, so we have to know exactly where the flowers are, how long they'll take to travel, to make it on a day, so we know what to present to the customer. And so, using an off-the-shelf platform was just not really going to work for us. And so, we've done a lot of hard work both on e-commerce. Um, subscription and ERP backend, you know, really build systems that are are custom for what we do.
1: And you mentioned subscription there. Was that was that something at the beginning of the plan? I'm guess if, guessing if your initial target customer was the guys buying for their girlfriends, then subscription doesn't really pay, play into that. So did, when did subscription raise its head as a opportunity?
2: It was there at the very beginning and it was, but it was, um, It was positioned in, in sort of three, we had three separate products that were all subscriptions, but they were presented in different ways. And we had them bundled under this title, which now looking back on it was not great. It was called concierge services. And the idea, which people thought meant like, oh, you're going to call me and help me. And that was not what it was, which is, (laughs) but the idea was, was that you can automate deliveries in your life in a way that makes it really easy. And so we had, again, three products. The first one was called regular deliveries, which is sort of your most standard subscription, which is. Set it up once a week, once every other week, once a month, you know, flowers will arrive. And and what we found was that most people, including men, would use that as a gift. They would, you know, on Mother's Day, rather than giving mom flowers today, they would give flowers to mom for a year. They would get a big discount. We would get recurring revenue. And they'd say, hey, mom, here's your flowers once a month for a year. Let's celebrate you year round instead of just one day. The second one was called um, at the time special occasions. It's now called the scheduler which is, um, you know, not to be too sexist against men, but (laughs) designed for forgetful dudes who never really could remember the birthdays, the anniversaries, et cetera. And in this product, you go in and you set those up once and it's a subscription to that date every year. So you set your parents' anniversary, your anniversary, your wife's birthday, your friends' and whatever the things are, and every year we'll deliver on that date. Um, and, And then the third one was called Just Because, which was random, So you would just say, I want to surprise someone five times a year with flowers and it would deliver this week and the next week and then not for three months. And then it would deliver again, which was my favorite, but no one used it because it was too weird. Like no one, (laughs) what we were trying to do with that. So those evolved. And essentially today we, the, the just because uh, can, you can do that within the scheduling uh, tool that we have. And then we have our regular delivery program, which is, really the the primary subscription that, that folks sign up with us and but it's very flexible you can skip a month you can use it to send to your mom this month your sister next month um, you can have it come to you as a default and then dole them out to your friends and family and so subscription has always been a really important part of the business um, and is really where we we think we deliver you know extraordinary value our deliveries are th- on subscription, or thirty-six dollars out the door, free delivery, which for a, a, a full bouquet of roses or, or or similar flowers delivered is an untouched price in the market. No one, no one approximates that price in, in any way, shape, or form.
1: Nice. Um, and then you mentioned that you've got you start off with five, and you've now got eighty-three. So, what does the team structure look like in the business? What are the guys working on?
2: Yeah, so our we don't do we don't execute a lot of operations. What I mean by that is our platform is designed to have the network do the sourcing and the fulfillment for us. And so a lot of what we do is marketing. Um, we manage that supply chain, and then we build technology to enable all of it. And so if you look at our org, you're going to see a lot of folks in marketing. You're going to see a lot of folks in in engineering and product. And then we have smaller groups in supply chain and in customer service. And then, you know, back office stuff, finance, HR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But it's also one of the things I loved about building this business was from a, you know, versus the size of the business, we could be a relatively small and nimble team. You know, even if we're a half billion dollar business, um, we're not going to need to have 5,000 people or or 3,000 people running that business. Um, We can scale, you know, the only thing that we'll really have to scale in headcount is is customer service over time. And so we we focus as much as possible on building technological solutions that can scale without just tons of manpower being piled on top because that's just a killer of of profitability.
1: And it slows down the growth rate as well, doesn't it? If if hiring becomes part of the the blocker to growth because, you know, you potentially... Like it takes time and effort to try and find someone, then you find the wrong person and off they go. But then you've also got the, you know, the challenge of trying to maintain the culture. And the big the bigger a company gets, the harder that becomes. So it, it can attack you from multiple angles.
2: Absolutely. And the institutional knowledge changeover, especially when you're early and and there's so much value in people's heads, because you you know, especially in years one, two, three, things aren't documented. You don't have robust document management systems. People do things they do on their laptops and then they're, they're gone. And everyone's like, wait, how did we do this? We don't know because we, we didn't extract that information in, in, a, in a way. So it's absolutely the case. And so the more that we've been able to rely on the tech to build the relationships with our customers on an automated basis, um, to tell the stories that we have to tell, obviously in partnership with our great creative team around who our farmers are, how they grow their product, how they treat the land and labor, and and where it's coming from, all of those things, we we try to build tools to help it scale, um, you know, faster, better, more efficiently than if you know we were trying to do it manually every time.
0: E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are.
1: It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. And if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? Well, that's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your contact lists, send memorable emails, automate key messages and more way, way more. Whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster, and it's free to get started. Visit klaviyo.com masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com masterplan. Shopware is a leading e-commerce system used by some of the largest European brands, retailers and manufacturers across both B2C and B2B industries. As a trend-setting open source solution, Shopware gives retailers the freedom to quickly and easily realise their growth potential with more flexibility and less complexity. Visit shopware.com to check out the new Shopware cloud solutions and discover the easiest way into e-commerce. Craft the perfect customer experience and unleash your growth.
0: It's time for the top tips round.
1: Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our business to the next level. So, John, you ready for the top tips? Let's do it. Okay. The book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Uh, it's a great
2: question. Um, I, I, it, this will depend on the size of the org, but Radical Candor, I think is probably the best business book that I've read um, slash listened to because I listened to it while, while running. Um, but the you know especially if you have an organization that's scaling, culture is, like you just said, is so important. And culture is really easy when there's 10 people. It gets a lot harder when there's 50. And then, you know, a lot harder when there's 100. And what I found through Radical Candor were just such clear examples of moments in our in our arc or in previous businesses where I worked where culture was not as good as it could have been. And it diagnoses each of those sort of moments and, and sort of how you got there, right? And it's, so it's not one of those, um very soft sort of uh, flight ebooks where it's it is spiritual in a sense of like we're aiming for the spirit in the business, but it gives you really practical um, examples and guidance on how to handle processes and people to get to a place of really strong culture. Um, I think radical candor has been uh, uh, misinterpreted in a lot of places uh, in, in sort of the business world, but if if you take the time you really dig into into the content, it's it's a fantastic read or listen.
1: It's a shame when that happens to books, isn't it? Like the people just hang on the title and the one liner and they actually then end up missing the depth of what's in there.
2: Um, yeah. The re-released version, which is what I, I listened to on, on, on uh, my audiobook, actually addresses that because radical candor became this pop culture phenomenon where people said, I'm, I'm practicing radical candor. You're a jerk. And, you're- <laughs> and, and it's like, no, it is not a license to be rude or disrespectful. Um, so highly recommend it. Really great book.
1: Okay. The traffic top tip next then, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? So for us,
2: and, and I think this holds today, but in the beginning, especially, and I actually, um, uh, teach a class at UCLA Anderson out here, um, on, on building new businesses. The, the number one thing you need, and not just e-commerce and any new business is, is a really great story. And, If you don't have a great story, because today the the world, again, the barriers to entry have gotten so much lower, right? Shopify didn't exist when we launched books, but essentially if you have Shopify and a product, you're now an e-commerce business. So the the competition is just prolific. And so, you know, a lot of people think you need capital or they need technology or it might be, but if you don't have a story that helps you break through and create a relationship with the customer on day one, that is beyond the transaction, you are dead in the water. Or you're a commodity that might have like a year or two of success but then amazon's just going to eat you um you have to have a story and a relationship with a customer that sets you apart from everyone else and creates longevity and loyalty so for us this at the very beginning we had this great supply chain around sustainability and quality and freshness but when i would test this idea with people no one really cared they didn't lean in and say "Wait, wait, wait i really want to know about your business um, and then we started telling the story about the volcano, which is called Cayambe in Ecuador. And we started talking about how we ship flowers from a volcano to your loved one for $40 flat. And everyone cared. Everyone would say, wait, wait, wait tell me about this volcano. Where's this volcano? How are you getting flowers? And in people's heads, it became this mythical moment where like Indiana Jones is like swinging through the, the the middle of a volcano to grab the flowers to save them from the liquid hot magma. And that kind of imagination brought people in and that gave them the sort of interest and intrigue and time to then learn about what we actually did. And that, that created loyalty. So I think more than anything, if anyone's launching a new e-commerce brand or trying to revive one, uh, find a story within what you do, change the way you do things to create a story. And that will be more powerful than any individual tactic, marketing channel, optimization that you can possibly find.
1: Oh, such, such good advice, everyone out there listening. You need a story if you're going to succeed these days. Um, okay, the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plug in a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day?
2: You know, I, th- I was thinking about this one a little bit, and this is going to sa- sound super lame, but I, th- I think it's the most effective thing that we've done in the business, and it's ebbed and flowed over time. But I think the best thing anyone can do is is not set half hour or one hour meetings. Meetings should be 25 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, um, especially in a COVID world where everything is online and Zoom. You can't get to the next meeting, you can't be ready for it, you can't prepare for it. it either you're in the current meeting thinking about the next one, or you're in the next one worrying about what you didn't do in the previous one. And from a productivity and a and a cultural perspective, sort of cheating the meetings, that extra five minutes or ten minutes is non-productive anyway, right? Let's let, let's end the chit chat where we all don't do anything productive in the first five minutes, and end five minutes earlier, and let everyone go to the next thing with a lot more pr- preparation and and therefore productivity. And again, this is ebbed and flowed at different times in books, but I think it's the most powerful thing I've seen. And my co-founder actually taken to uh, doing fifteen-minute meetings now. He won't do a half hour. He'll do 15-minute meetings. And he said it's the most amazing thing that's happened to him personally and his productivity because everyone knows we have 15. We've got to knock this out. Um, And so that would be my recommendation. It's not really a tool, but it's kind of a a, a way of operating.
1: Oh, no, that definitely, definitely counts. Okay, the last one is the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them?
2: Um. So I think there, you know, I would, I would say the story one again, but because, you know, just very transparently, we did a lot more than a thousand on just the story. So if you get the right story, it will lead to a lot of exposure, a lot of um, reach that you wouldn't have otherwise. You know, we, you get PR reaching out and they want to talk about you. You get partners that reach out. They want to, they want to partner with you. And so the story is, but, but sort of, since I already used that one, I think, you know, in the early days, um, the, the thing that to me is the is the best tool is the combination of a robust email capture program and a, a really interesting, intriguing and well thought out email drip. You gotta get the email address and then you gotta tell a great story that is compelling and that builds on itself to get people to buy. And the reason why I, I say this one is, as we said earlier, you don't need to hire people to do it. You set it, you, you optimize it, you test it, but it can constantly be churning out new relationships with customers New orders and new learnings. You know, we we if you're if you're testing something that's around your supply chain and that's not really converting, you can start talking about your pricing, whatever it might be. And that drip will then churn out orders for you over the first call it two months of any given customer lifecycle. And you set it and can kind of forget it, and it's going to create revenue, you know, every day. And so I think that's probably the 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 quote unquote hack, and it's very standard, but it's probably the thing that I say to everyone: do that first. Um, and then re- referrals is an, is another one. Just you know, launch a a referral widget. Make sure that you're capturing those customers. Put that into your drip, and make sure that your customers are working for you as well.
1: I love that focus on automation. Always good because it, like you said, it just keeps delivering. So, John, before we say goodbye, could you let the listeners know where they can find you and Books on the web and social media, please?
2: Absolutely. So you can find us on social at at the Books Co. T H E B O U Q S Co. Um, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, wherever, whatever your preferred um, platform is. And then to find us on, on the web, it's books.com like bouquet, but shortened. So dot com. And, uh, we order, we take orders from, uh, and deliver across the United States. We, we source from around the world, but right now we're, we're solely delivering in the U S but we hope to expand that, you know, as, as soon as possible.
1: Excellent. Well, John, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It's been fascinating talking strategy and and a few tactics too with you. So thanks very much for coming on.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day.
1: Really interesting there to hear how how John and his co-founder kind of identified how they were going to make that difference in the the industry they decided to target and then how they spent the, they've spent the next eight years refining and improving their model and, and going back to kind of those key tenets of the business right from the very beginning the culture the story the automating and letting the systems do it rather than doing it themselves and clearly a hugely successful business so um, I hope you've all picked up lots from there uh, now if you want to get your hands on the notes from today's show which includes those top tips links to what we've mentioned and everything else then head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find a link to this episode. There, you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share here to help you improve your business. Because you know, we do podcasts, we do events, all sorts of bits and pieces and interesting articles and stuff I send out in the newsletter uh, every week. If you liked this episode and you like that talk about story, then what you should really go and check out is episode 258, where I'm chatting with JJ Resnick from the Moscow Copper Company. and He really goes deep into stories. He is a man who is all about story and has a great process for helping you identify what your story is and and really putting it out clearly in front of the customers. If you love that talk about story, check out 258 with JJ Resnick. You will not be disappointed. And thank you very much for tuning in to this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview with an e-commerce business owner every week because I want to inspire and help as many e-commerce business owners as possible to succeed and thrive with their business. So please do tell any other e-commerce business owners you know, because I would love this show to be helping them too. I hope you have a great week and keep optimizing.